All right, excited for this episode of Listen to Mario. Mario Lopez here. And this week I got a old buddy of mine. And I mean old because I've known him a long time, not by his age necessarily. Robert Shapiro is joining me. And most people, of course, know Robert from OJ's Dream Team back in the day. He was a quarterback of that team. And he's had a long career defending a lot of celebrities, not just OJ. He also started a really cool, important foundation in honor of his son. And like me, he's really into boxing, loves to talk about it. And there's a lot to talk about just in general, including how he almost got pranked by Sasha Baron Cohen. So let's get to it. Listen to Mario. Mr. Robert Shapiro, welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mario. It's so great to be with you outside of the gym where it's less than 90 degrees. Exactly. Uh, For those of you not familiar, Mr. Robert Shapiro, obviously one of the best attorneys ever, but at the same time, the man's a beast. Hangs out (laughs) at the boxing gym. We've sparred together, keeps himself in phenomenal shape, and has lethal hands. Was that just because of love and respect for the sport? I don't think I've ever asked you, Bob. How did the fascination... You know, it's very interesting. I never, ever liked exercising for the purpose of just exercising. And I was a member of the sports club years ago at at Sports Club LA, which is now Equinox. And they put in a speed bag upstairs. And I said, you know, I always thought that was cool. My dad used to take me to Hollywood Legion Stadium uh, for the fights in LA. And we we always watched the fights. I actually listened to the fights on the radio. Right. And, uh, you know, then they started a boxing class. And they had six people in the boxing class, three guys and three women, and an ex-Marine fighter teaching it. The end of the class, I was the last person there. Everybody else had quit. And I talked to uh, the teacher. His name was Jason Rossi. And I said, Jason, you know, what if you just come train me? And we uh, agreed. I set up a makeshift thing in my house. And I trained with him for a couple years. And then there was a fight between Michael Moore and Evander Holyfield. I remember that one. The first one or the second one? First one. Okay. And... It was the day of my son's bar mitzvah. And I got them to take a picture together with my son. And then they came back to the wild card. And I met Freddie Roach. And I told him about my interest. He said, well, why don't you come train with me? And, and that started history. my interest. And, you know, Since then like, you've like, seen... like, like you, we're serious about it. This exactly. Not, we're, we're not in there just to uh, work up a little uh, sweat and throw a few punches. I mean... We want to know the technique. We want to know the strategy. And both of us are lucky. We get to hang out with the pros. Yeah, exactly. No, that is that is a fun little benefit. But yeah, I can vouch. Bob gets in there, mixes it up, and uh, lets those uh, hands go. But um, you're doing a really cool thing for essentially your son. Can you talk a little bit about the foundation and what, uh, and what it does for these great kids? So, Mario, in, in 2005, as you know, uh, our son Brent, who was just the most wonderful kid, uh, was a drug addict and alcoholic. And he'd been through a couple rehabs and finally was on the road to sobriety. Been sober for 18 months, was on the dean's list at USC for three semesters, and ready to go to law school. And uh, he got invited to a party with uh, with a, his new girlfriend. And it wasn't one of these crazy Hollywood parties. It was like back to school on a school bus at the Hollywood... Legion Stadium in uh, in Hollywood. And as I was told after the fact, he broke his sobriety. And, you know, we know today that 
uh, drug disease is a chronic disease. It's treatable, not curable, and recurring. And it recurred with him mm. to the degree that he took two Jagermeister shots and then took a half of ecstasy, got violently ill, started to projectile vomit. And this is a normal situation today where somebody would simply call 911, they go to the emergency room, they get back into a rehabilitation program, and hopefully they'll be back on the, on the right track. Nobody called 911. They didn't want us to know. So one of the things we started was the Brent Shapiro Foundation for Alcohol and Drug Awareness. Now the drug, now it's called the Brent Shapiro Foundation for Drug Prevention. But we wanted to get the awareness out that, you know, if there's a problem, call 911. So we started something called Save a Life, our Save a Life program. And there are simple cards which show you what the symptoms are when somebody needs to get to the hospital. And it also shows you something that we help pass, and that's the Good Samaritan Law. So if, God forbid, somebody is sick under the influence even has drugs on them, and somebody's going to take them to the hospital and has drugs, nobody gets arrested. And so that now is saving more lives. And if your listeners go to BrentShapiro.org, the Save Life card is there. We have children's books starting at the age of five called Somo Says No, introducing kids immediately to what drugs and alcohol can do to people long term. That's an awesome, awesome foundation because I think everyone literally knows someone or is somehow affected by drug or alcohol addiction and the fact that you're raising the awareness level on how to get help so is a great thing. So happy to be a part of it, Bob. Yeah, and you know, I've, uh, so from there, we're now at the point where not a day goes by that you don't hear about the epidemic in America with opiates, with heroin, uh, and everybody is aware now. So... Three and a half years ago, we changed our focus, and we went to prevention. How do we prevent this epidemic? Well, there's no way we're going to win the war on drugs. It started in the 1950s, and we have as much chance of winning this war as the war in Afghanistan. Just unfortunately, no matter how good our agents are, how much money we throw at it, this is a demand problem, not a supply problem. Right. And so we said, what if we give kids rewards for staying sober? What if we try this? Nobody's tried it. Incentive. And and give them an incentive and change peer pressure from just try it to, I'm not stupid, I'll never try it. Because we know that if somebody uses drugs before the age of 15, the likelihood of a lifelong problem increases by five to 800%. Wow, that's scary. Unbelievable scary statistics. Yeah. And so we we started Brent's Club in partnership with the Boys and Girls Club of America. And we started on Cincinnati Avenue in Boyle Heights, right in the heart of gangland and drug dealers on every corner. We started with about 60 kids. Programs started to be successful. It's grown to 1,300 kids there and in San Gabriel. And then people are saying, well, that's in the underserved areas. Didn't you say this problem is everywhere? And I said, yes, it is. So we've opened the club in Malibu, 
And now we're going to open up our first uh, partnership with the NFL, with the New York Giants, sponsoring our biggest club in the Bronx, New York. And, and our goal is simple. Uh, with people like you talking about this and with the public now getting aware, we want to put one of these clubs in every city that has a professional sports franchise. Bravo. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. We talk all the time and do spots on the opioid uh, epidemic and all this stuff. So that's great. Wonderful thing to be a part of. Here's the thing. You still very much practice law. I do. I, you know, I, I have three passions in life. And not necessarily in this order. <laughs> Boxing, my practice of law, primarily civil, and my business interests uh, that uh, now started with LegalZoom.com, uh, which has proven to be very successful, not only for us, but for the public. Yeah. Bob, how did you become, I've asked you this, I think, before, a long time ago, but how did you become the go-to attorney for um, celebrities and certain clientele? Because you've worked with a lot of high-profile Guys, how does that happen? Because it's not by accident. Is it sort of like high school where just the popular kid attracts all the cool kids? You know, that's a great question. And honestly, nobody's ever asked me this publicly. Uh, I was in the DA's office right after law school. And I wasn't the greatest student in law school, but I had one thing. And that was I had an ability to assimilate large amounts of material very quickly and articulate it and be persuasive. So I won the moot court competition, uh, became the chief justice of the moot court, and decided to become a trial lawyer. And I never wanted to be a lawyer. In fact, I think I'm going to write a book which says I never wanted to be a lawyer. What'd you want to be? Uh, I wanted to be in business. Uh, I graduated UCLA with a degree in finance and economics. And so I always wanted to be in business, and now fortunately I am in business, but uh, they had no graduate schools of business at UCLA. Right. And the war in Vietnam was looming. And the draft board was right across the street, and I was 1A, fit and ready to go. The only way to avoid Vietnam, well, there are several ways. One, you could burn your draft card. Two, you could move to Canada. Three, you could become a conscience objector. Or four, you could get a deferment by going to a graduate school. So I started applying to law schools. And I got accepted. At the last minute, I got the last seat in the class at Loyola Law School uh, and, and enrolled. And I found, you know, well, maybe I'll try this. Became a, a deputy district attorney with the L.A. District Attorney's Office. Tried cases for about two years and went into private practice. And the first case I get when I'm just out of the DA's office is I get a call from Liza Minnelli. And I don't know Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Why is Liza Minnelli calling me? Right. Liza Minnelli is calling me because her choreographer, David Winters, just got arrested in Las Vegas. How do I know David Winters? His son and my son go to the same grammar school. Ah. And I'm the only lawyer he knows that does criminal law. Hence Liza Minnelli calling you. Okay, Liza Minnelli calls me, but it's not really for David Winters. It's for Linda Lovelace, who got arrested with David Winters. Now, Linda Lovelace was 
well known in America for one thing that uh, became very, very public, and that is she was the first porno star to actually have movies shown in legitimate theaters. Wow. And, and Linda, it's quite an accomplishment. And, and, <laughs> and the movie was called Deep Throat. So you can, you, you can look it up. <laughs> I've heard of okay? it. <laughs> okay. So, but she was as recognizable as the President of the United States. Let me turn this down for a uh, So I, uh, I get on a plane and I, and I fly to Las Vegas and I meet Linda Lovelace and, and David Winter. And they tell me this story of how Sammy Davis Jr. wants to do a review with Linda Lovelace in Las Vegas. This did not go over well with the people that were running the hotels at that time in Las Vegas. Right. That this was something far away from the image they wanted to project. And Linda Lovelace (laughs) and David Winters go out for dinner one night first night they're there and go to a nightclub. Everything is set up for them. They come back and exactly one minute after midnight, the Metropolitan Squad, which is the police squad of Las Vegas, raids their room with guns, with more than 10 officers, everybody on the ground, and they arrest them for possession for sale of cocaine. We... I get involved, and I need to find another lawyer in Las Vegas. So I find the best lawyer there at the time. And the two of us take this case. And it is the first nationally publicized case in America. Wow. It's on the cover of almost every newspaper and magazine. And you were young, so right away. I'm young, and we win the case. Of course you do. And it just it just went from there. And it then, just went from there. And that and wasn't the craziest it, case you had. It, it, that <laughs> wasn't. And then no. you were also you also handled Phil Spector, didn't you? I handled Phil Spector. Remember Phil Spector's oh, yeah, case? Yeah. Only for a while. I didn't try Phil Spector's case. But uh, the next then in the seventies, there were very stringent drug laws, even for marijuana. Really, marijuana was a felony. And felony. Rock wow. and rock and roll was everywhere and the people in rock and roll were getting arrested or having problems and i represented just about every major talent in the world really in the sound like who? in the 70s on drug cases which which pretty much all of them you know we're, <laughs> i mean everyone <laughs> you know i i represented billy preston uh I don't want to name a lot of people because some of these have gone on now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shaka Khan, who is now sober, okay. uh, represented her. Uh, and a lot of people who, who who are still around. But Got it. Not necessary to bring that up now. And after that, uh, the next big case in America was Christian Brando. Right. Yeah, I remember that Marlon Brando's son. That's right. Marlon Brando's son. Was that before or after he saved Michael Jackson's life? That was before Michael Jackson. Before Michael Jackson. Way before Michael Jackson. Uh, Christian was one of two of Marlon Brando's children, other than the adopted kids, uh, which he had from basically from Tahiti and, and one from London. Then later on, he had several other kids, supposedly with maybe housekeepers. Right. But, uh, 
You won that one too, right? That case was... Or you, you settled. We settled that case. That case was a difficult case. Uh, Christian admitted to the police that he shot his sister's boyfriend. His sister was Cheyenne, one of the most gorgeous women ever. And she reported that her boyfriend was beating her up. And Christian said, let me look into this. Like and Santino from The Godfather. Exactly right. And uh, <laughs> the case uh, ended up with uh, this young man from Tahiti being on Marlon Brando's couch and with a bullet through his head at point blank range. And Christian admitted doing the shooting. It was a, a difficult case, but, but we believe that uh, there were certain defenses to this case. That, number one, that uh, Christian was enraged, that there was diminished capacity on his part, And as a result, we were able to settle it for a manslaughter conviction. Uh, And Christian served five years. Unfortunately, Christian also had had an addiction problem. Uh, He certainly had an alcohol problem. And he passed away uh, working uh, as a welder up in Northern California. He never wanted the limelight. But one of the nicest people. Yeah. Yeah. Humble, uh, never wanted the limelight at all. Right. And uh, unfortunately had a very, very uh, difficult life, to say the least. So by the time you got the Simpson case, that was like nothing to you then. You've been on the, you've been at the high levels and used to the attention all for years. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to to get uh, the cases that I wanted. And then in between those, I got a case that I think, to me, was the most important case I ever had. Which was what? F. Lee Bailey got arrested in San Francisco. And F. Lee Bailey was the most famous lawyer in America. He had just uh, defended Patty Hearst about five years before. That's right. And uh, people didn't view his performance that well in the Patty Hearst case, especially Patty Hearst was very critical of him. And she was convicted uh, and went to prison. And uh, Mr. Bailey got arrested in San Francisco. And he had the choice of any lawyer in America to represent him. And he asked uh, myself and his partner, Al Johnson, to represent him. The night before we start the trial, Al Johnson gets sick. The case is the first nationally publicized trial in America it's the longest and most expensive drunk driving case ever. Normally, there are two, maybe three witnesses. In this case, there were 40. And uh, <laughs> Mr. Bailey was acquitted. Wow. <laughs> and drunk driving cases are usually, what, yeah. an hour? Yeah. yeah. In the no, courtroom? I mean, yeah, right. they're, they're a day. I mean, they're, they're yeah. very simple. The arresting how, long, all, how long did it go on? It went on for one week. Wow. Uh, actually, at the, the end... Uh, some of the jur- the alternate jurors uh, got too tired and they were unavailable. And one of the regular jurors couldn't do it. So we were down from 12 jurors to 11. And it's much in our favor, the more jurors. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, it's a unanimous verdict. And we decided to go with 11 jurors and still got a not guilty verdict. So that one was, was really important. And there, there was one thing that is a pretty cool antidote. Uh, 
there, there was a reporter in San Francisco who, who wrote a daily column. And it was one of those, like people in New York read page six. Right. Uh, people in San Francisco read the Chronicle and, and, and read uh, his story. And he said, the, uh, the worry around San Francisco is F. Lee Bailey got acquitted and Patty Hearst got convicted. What's the difference he had a better lawyer. At the end of the day, that's how really the representation. Yeah. And right? then, you know, I got other cases at the exact same time on the exact same date. Johnny Carson gets arrested in Beverly Hills for drunk driving. Really? Yeah. I didn't Both know that. On a Johnny night. Carson. <laughs> Johnny, Car- Johnny Carson gets arrested right in front of what is now the Beverly Center. I never well, knew that. It's the borderline. So I would uh, believe Ed McMahon. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, okay. So, so th- this is the borderline between Beverly Hills and Los Angeles. He gets stopped. He's driving. And officer comes up and says, you know, identification and uh, registration. And he looks at him and says, I'm Johnny Carson. <laughs> How dare you? Mario does that. <laughs> and, 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 and the cop, the Beverly Hills cop, turns to his wife, Joanne, and says, can you identify this man? Uh, what? And oh, Johnny we're... Carson says, you ever see the Academy Awards? You ever <laughs> yeah. see the Tonight Show? Yeah. With that, squad cars come from both sides and take Carson away in handcuffs. Oh, wow. Unnecessary. Okay, next morning. No, this is, this is Friday. Monday morning, and then Bailey gets arrested that same night. They both hire me. Monday evening. Business is booming at that business point. Business is doing good. <laughs> okay. Mon- Mon- Monday night, Carson comes out on television. And Carson was the number one rated show. By, by maybe, lot. Maybe ever. Right. Okay. And he always came out with a slogan. I've got good news and bad news. Well, on Monday night, he comes out with two guys dressed as Beverly Hills cops <laughs> that are about six foot five in handcuffs. Oh. And he comes out and he pretends to swing a golf club. That's how he opens his monologue. Right. Now he's swinging the golf club in handcuffs. And he says, I've got good news and bad news. He says, the bad news, I was arrested for drunk driving on Friday night by the Beverly Hills Police Department. The good news, my lawyer's F. Lee Bailey. <laughs> oh my gosh that's which, funny. Mr. which mr bailey didn't take kindly <laughs> right right of course very clever very so, clever uh, anyway it's a good question things i rarely talk about but uh you got me at a good moment today i got you i got you at a good moment this listen i got i gotta ask you about because i just think this is funny john travolta told me that he reached out to you for his portrayal of you for the movie but you in fact say that is not true Okay, I would have met with John Travolta in a second. Number one, I think he uh, has always been uh, one of the best actors around. Uh, when I heard he was selected to play me, I, I didn't see any resemblance. You know, <laughs> neither neither did any of us. By you the know? way, I, you got to think that's flattering, though. I mean, John Travolta. Absolutely. You know, I'm, of course. But you know, I thought maybe Sean Penn. You know, you know me. I've got somewhat of an edge, you know. <laughs> right. You got fire in you. You know, yeah. It's, it, I'm, I'm a little different person. So uh, I did watch part of the first episode. And number one, uh, the guy who wrote the, the story 
Jeff Tubin is somebody that I don't get along with, have never gotten along with, and one day I will uh, say why I don't get along with him. But basically, uh, I don't believe uh, he had a lot of integrity when he was covering the Simpson case. And he admitted on television that most of this story was fictionalized uh, of what he thought took place. Uh, when, I, when I saw Travolta uh, pretending to be me, I didn't recognize myself at all, uh, either in movements, in action, in words, or in any other way. And, and everybody who knew me called me and said, why is he doing these things? <laughs> and I said, I, I have no idea. So I didn't aggravate myself and watch any more. My wife did, and she's still aggravated to this minute. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's very interesting that show was very well received. People liked it. Uh, got uh, lots of nominations and lots of awards. And there were four major lawyers that were characterized in that. And uh, of those four major lawyers and actors, uh, all got nominated for Golden Globes and all got nominated for Emmys. And all won except one person. John Travolta. There you go. <laughs> so I rest my case. <laughs> yes, you, you, you won that one. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Wait, so, something completely different. Just wanted to ask you about, because um, I know you know him. Sasha Baron Cohen had the finale of his show, Who is America, with O.J. Simpson. And I did not know that Bob actually tried to get punked by Sasha Baron Cohen when he was uh, the Ali G show. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's really amazing how they set you up. I get a call uh, from a guy with a very heavy English accent and, and tells me that, that, that he's a producer of a show uh, very similar to the BBC, an educational show geared towards children. And they have this hip host who, you know, tries to bring kids together to learn something educational through people who are experts in the field. And so they give me all this flattery nonsense. And sure. I said, yeah, it sounds great. I completely forget about it. And three months later, my assistant calls me and I'm literally working out at home and says, where are you? I said, I'm at home. Why? He says, well, you know, the people from Great Britain are all here and they're all excited to have you. <laughs> I said, oh, you know, see if they can come back. I can do it on Monday. And she said, no, they rented a big hotel suite and they've got all their cameras and everything. So I said, fine. So I show up at the hotel right across from my office. Very convenient. <laughs> and I walk in and there's four or five guys in rumpled suits. And the first thing they ask me is, would you like a drink? I said, why would I want a drink? I'm going to be doing an interview. For a kid's show. <laughs> For, you know, I mean, it's just not, not, not what you would expect. And then they said, you know, and, and here's our standard release form. You know, and I've been on enough TV shows that I just sign it. I don't read it. Good attorney. You know? <laughs> exactly. Don't listen. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so I go up there and all of a sudden... I, I have to go to the bathroom, and so I go to the bedroom side, and there's this guy who's about six feet tall in a Laker jumpsuit covered with gold chains, and he's got two things on that are kind of crazy. One, he's got a Master P hat on, and two, he's got a Wu-Tang Clan T-shirt on. And I said, you know, what a coincidence that uh, I know Master P because my son's a DJ, and I represent uh, one of the lead guys in... Uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, old dirty bastard. 
<laughs> Wait, that is so random. You represented o- ODV, really? Yeah. yeah. So, you have the most fascinating life ever. <laughs> no, his, 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 the people that he's represented. That's what I mean, a, yeah. but he's like attached to Wait, all we'll these people. we'll get back to that because yeah. we're going to digress, but go so, on. So, 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 you know, and the guy says, I'm out here DJing for the weekend. And so I have no idea. And so I go back and it's professionally set up, you know, just like your show here on Extra. They have... Uh, the sound man and the video guys, couple of cameras. So it looks very professional. I sit down like I would sit next to you. And this guy comes, sits next to me. I said, oh my God. I mean, it was like, okay. So he starts out and he's, the first question is, we have with us the very famous American lawyer, Richard Shapiro. <laughs> and so... I said, okay, let's uh, let's take a step back. <laughs> okay, you know, you got notes in front of you. My name is Robert. Okay, so he starts again, and the first the first six or seven minutes are all straight straight questions. Okay, so he baits you like that. Yeah, okay. he, he, he makes he, you think he, it's all serious. He he, he he brings me in, you know, and then he says. And, and he speaks, you know, in this broken accent when he was Ali G. Does you ever lose a case? And I said, uh, of course I lose a case. He says, well, why doesn't you change sides when you're losing a case so you become the winner of the case? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying, okay, you know, look at obviously, I, I, you can't do that in Great Britain and you can't do that in, Cal- in the United States. We, we can't do that. <laughs> And now the questions are getting really kind of off the wall, and I'm getting a little bit, a uh, little bit aggravated. <laughs> and so the next question is, you know, I've got a case for you. Okay, what's the case? He says, uh, "Me good bro uh, is with the Queen at Buckingham Palace, and the two of them are smoking a joint, and the alarms go off because of the smoke, and the bobbies come in, and the joints between the two of them, but they arrest me, bro." How's you going to defend them? And I look at him and I said, you know what? You're the village idiot. <laughs> he said, who's you calling the village idiot? I said, you know, I don't mean to insult you, but that's a question like the village idiot would ask. He says, you're just saying that because I'm black. I said, no, it's got nothing to do with the way you look. It's got something to do with your stupidity. And this, in- this interview is over. And you ended it and right. I, and, and I ended it and I walked away. The producer come back. You know, Mr. Shapiro, he's going to go back on script. He just got got carried away a little <laughs> bit. To come back. So I'm sitting there for a few minutes. I said, let him go back over his notes. Then I said, you know what, guys? This show's not for me. And I walked away. And you- <laughs> so, so, so now, Mario, I see him, you know, years later at, at the uh, Sunset Tower restaurant in, in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And he's dressed straight, you know, and I go up to him and... Uh, I said, you know, I just wanted to reintroduce myself. He says, no, I know exactly who you are. You cost us a million dollars when you walked out on this show. You're only one of two people who did it. The other person was Donald Trump. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? You, have you ever seen the Trump one? No. What did he try to do with Trump? I was he not pitched aware of that. him a terrible like business idea, and then Trump goes, "All right, good luck with that," and just leaves. And just leaves. Yeah. But at least they aired that. Mine, they didn't even air. Yeah. Oh wow. So yeah, yeah I'm surprised that you, they even got yeah. you that yeah. uh, for that log. But that's yeah. funny. Well, jokes on you. This is not a real radio show. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this whole thing has been a facade. That's fascinating. But did you see his finale when he had your former client OJ Simpson? Not, not only did I, I've seen every one of his shows. And 
I, I try to do You're it. You're a while. fan now. Uh, no, I'm a huge <laughs> fan. And, and, you know, I mean, sometimes I have to watch it twice because I'm laughing so hard. I'm not hearing the next line. The things that he gets people to do. Isn't that crazy? They're, they're just incomprehensible. They're literally incomprehensible. And, uh, but, it, you know, there, there's a good part to it and a sad part. The good part is it's incredibly entertaining. The sad part is there are some people that are so far out of touch with reality right. that they will do virtually anything to promote their own agenda. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's proving that. I, I, let me just ask quickly, because as I watched the OJ thing with him, I was unbelievably uncomfortable. Were you? <laughs> you know, I really wasn't. Uh, I really haven't had any contact with uh, Simpson since the case. Uh, I ran into him twice just coincidentally, once at a car wash of all things, <laughs> and, and, and once, unfortunately, at a premiere where he came, where he came up, and uh, you know, it wasn't something that I wanted to be photographed with. Yeah. But uh, so you know, I, I saw it, and uh, you know, really didn't have much thought other than pretty sad. Well, Bob, always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you. Always great to be with you, Mario. Don't forget to follow, listen to Mario on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever.